Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. Come on in, take a seat, have a tasty treat. Put up your feet, sit back, relax, and welcome back to Backlick Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe. That's Z-O or Z-O if you're outside of the U.S. It's the 115th episode. Thank you for downloading your streaming. We really appreciate it. We watch movies that I love when I was growing up in 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I talk about my favorite parts and I give you my son's impressions, except for this episode, because we weren't able to combine our schedules so that we could be on the, you know, watch the movie together. So I, I just watched it by myself, but not totally by myself. But before I get into that, if you like what you're about to hear, then please tell your family, tell your friends, tell all of your neighbors, tell your neighborhood jerk about our humble little show, Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Now, what I meant was that I'm not watching it alone is because remotely in some far off land, I was joined by a return special guest, a guest of his own podcast empire containing multiple shows. But the main show is Movie Lovers Unite. And I've had him on the show before. I have members of his podcast empire on the show before. And allow me to welcome back the great the powerful John DiGregario. All right. Thank you so much for wow, joining us. Cool, man. <laughs> I can't go, you can't go no wrong with that. I do appreciate it. Thank you for being here. And um, John, since you've been on the show a couple of times before, instead of doing a, a regular interview where I, I ask you like the ins and outs of uh, where you came from and whatnot, I'm going to ask you a bunch of weird and stupid questions. Out of this okay. deck Sounds that I good. Found I'm good. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> so the first weird and stupid question is, what secret conspiracy would you like to start? Let's see. I would like to actually talk about the conspiracy of probably, you know, what people put into their chicken. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to start the conspiracy that the the moon is actually getting closer and it's going to crash into the earth. Th- that'll be fun. Oh. I mean, yeah, uh, is. I- I'll have the flat earthers beat. <laughs> 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 now, what you're saying, the second weird question I have is, if you could sing a duet with anyone, who would it be? Ooh, that's actually a good one. I would have to go with Lionel Richie. Ah, oh, Lionel Richie. That that's that's pretty cool. That he's a classic vocalist and songwriter. He's he's pretty cool. I haven't actually thought about um the the question. I I don't know who I want to do a duet with. There's so many people, but I've been listening to Steve Martin, um, and his group. So right now, Steve Martin. I want to do a duet with Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I will actually. I might actually also put Joe Pesci on there because he does have a jazz album out oh, there. Oh, does too. he? I did not know that. I, I got to go and find yeah. that one. I'm listening to a lot of weird things. And finally, <laughs> the last question is, who is the most famous person you've ever met? Uh, that'll be Coleman Domingo. Right. Didn't you do an interview with him? Yeah. yeah, I did an interview with Coleman Domingo. I had an opportunity to speak with him because of the fact that I did ended up doing a movie that he wrote and directed oh that's pretty awesome and it really was i wasn't expecting it because it was like a short story and of course i was doing the holly shorts film festival and so i was a beat this landed on me on me so i'm like yeah okay i'll do it next thing i know i tweet out i'm doing a review 
of Coleman Domingo's film, and I actually tagged Coleman. Next thing I know, he liked my post. Right. And started retweeting it. But another one I would actually have to go with, too, is Robert England. Oh, that's pretty cool. That, yeah, I got to meet him at a con. Oh, okay. Um, that, I, li- I like the cons because you do get to uh, sometimes get up and close and personal with some of the greatest actors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they, right. they're in a thing that you like, like uh, Friday the 13th or in my case, Star Trek or some other property. And then, you know, you get to meet them and, that, and that's pretty awesome. Um, I would say like the, the most famous person I met outside of the context of like a, a con or, or just like weirdly bumping into somebody in a store. It's like, I was at work uh, and as a security guard <laughs> in Hawaii. And um, there was a dude that was like walking around with his, with a friend of his and they had, they were on, I guess it was a double date and it turned out to be Cuba Gooden Jr. So I, oh. I met Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, on the job and uh, he was, well wasted and does not remember me probably doesn't remember that whole night it was way back when he was filming pearl harbor and it was him and his uh his bodyguard now in my capacity of a security officer i generally don't speak to people unless spoken to you know just trying to keep it cordial so he came up to me and introduced himself so i thought that was cool (laughs) that is pretty cool that he just randomly just introduces himself yeah yeah. i was i think because it was late at night i was the only one there and uh you know he just saw somebody thought you know thought it'd be cool to uh say hello so he's he's a pretty cool person that is pretty cool i'm actually jealous of that that you actually had someone outside of a con that just wanted to have a conversation right 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 right. that's a kind of capacity (laughs) Not even a conversation, just saying hello, right? I still hold that as a conversation. Right, right, you right. Know? <laughs> uh, also, He's a casual walker by. <laughs> in, a, in a con, I met, um, I can't remember her name, but she played the Davo girl on Deep Space Nine. And <laughs> I also met Robert Picardo. He played the doctor on Voyager. And I, I probably met oh, some nice. other, yeah, yeah. I probably met some other people, but I, I've forgotten about them already. Oh, I, I, I seen I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a meeting. Uh, but Jean Claude Van Damme, while he was incognito, had asked me to directions to the gym at the same place. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. Yeah, that's... he was. It was funny, right? Because it was like a weirdly dressed dude. He was in like short shorts, and he had on a uh, like a baseball cap and sunglasses. And he talked funny. And I didn't recognize him at first. And so I kind of told him where the gym was. And then after he left, I was like, oh, that's right. That's that's Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the he went. Is, oh. Oh, no, I was just saying. Then he went to the pool and he, you know, he he dropped the subterfuge. He was like, he was full. He looked exactly like he normally looked in the movies. This is back like. I don't know, like 30 years ago when, when he was like at the peak of his fame and, you know, he like the, the slick back hair, the, the charming smile. He was all of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool, though. I mean, to actually see Jean-Claude Van Damme in his prime like that. that yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Because, OK, so I'm a huge Jean-Claude Van Damme fan and everything, too. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I was listening to this one podcast. Right. He, he had Jean-Claude Van Damme on his show. And all he talked about was cookies. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Like Twenty minutes. That's all he talked about was cookies. Right, right, right. I'm like what? 
I guess like when you're staying in shape and you can't eat, you know, all of the things like regular people do is like you just fantasize about the sugary sweets. Right. <laughs> right. So I guess now that he's older, he's like, you know what? I don't have to keep this physicality anymore. I can just eat whatever I want. So I'm just going to talk about cookies. Right, right, right. <laughs> but he's, he still looks pretty good. He, he's still uh, he's still doing the splits. <laughs> <laughs> Might have a little bit of a hard time getting right back up from the splits, uh, but maybe, he's still doing <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, but he's still he's still in pretty good shape. So, um, That's pretty cool. You got, you got some things you want to plug? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, we're going to be, well, I'm, I have a couple of shows lined up for uh, the first part of May. I got the RoboCop review that I'm doing with Abby from Motor City Nurse that I'm doing. I've also got a couple of interviews lined up as well that I'm going to be trying to do. So, yeah, that's pretty much everything I have as far as the stuff going on at Movie Lovers Unite. Right now, I did put up a uh, trailer, re- trailer reaction for Transformers Rise of the Beast, so people can go on ahead and check that out. Of course, I did the Peaches Super Mario Brothers reaction of me reacting to uh, to that. And matter of fact, I'm actually editing out one other reaction where Jimmy Kimmel, not Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon is um, singing Hello featuring Lionel Richie. So that's also <laughs> another thing. So I thought that was actually pretty funny. So I have those things um, that I'm editing. So yeah, I have a couple of trailer reactions I'm dropping, a couple of shorts, you know, just feeding the machine of, of YouTube. Right, and also right. doing, as you would say, doing the lord's work <laughs> right <laughs> so. right right yeah uh i i was i've been thinking about doing trailer reactions but the problem is when i see a trailer i click on it right away <laughs> so like I, i'll tell you what man it's actually the hardest thing to do because i have friends that will go ahead and send me trailer react trailers right like, dude i know it dropped but i cannot watch this until later <laughs> right right so i want to uh, geek out with you but i can't do it <laughs> I've seen a couple of trailer reactions and people are super excited. Uh, and then it's like, so when I saw the latest trailer, it's like, oh, this is the real trailer right here. And it was like, I was like, okay, that's good. That's good. That's problematic. And I'm referring to Unicron coming to Earth because it's, you would expect some gravimetric problems like with, you know, hurricanes or earthquake. They address that mm-hmm. issue in an actual Transformers cartoon, but they don't mm-hmm. really show it in the trailer. So I don't know if that's a dream sequence or if he's actually there. And it's like, where where are the weather events that would occur with two planets so closely together? That's what I'm looking for. That's, that's going to be interesting. Or maybe Unicron is like hollow or he just doesn't have the mass of the Earth and can't cause that kind of uh, issue. I was actually looking for those problems too, though, because if you remember in the Transformers, the movie, that's how the, how the Transformers died. Yeah. Well, a lot of Transformers died well. because the Decepticons shot them. The, the Megatron shot a right. bunch of Autobots. And then Unicron ate some of the Decepticons, but then he, then he or he either ate them or he transformed some of them. So right. Megatron becomes Galvatron. Uh, another one becomes Cyclonus and another one becomes a group of the sweeps. And, and then Starscream is destroyed by uh, Galvatron. So <laughs> it's, it was a lot of destruction going on. And it was so funny with, with Transformers, the movie, because they were doing things in the movie that the toy company wanted to do, that the writers were saying, no, this is a bad idea. We can't do this. This is this would traumatize kids. And the toy company was like, no. We want to get rid of these toys so we can sell more toys. 
<laughs> so instead, we're gonna traumatize these kids and make them wonder what really what's going on over here. Right, right. right. <laughs> they didn't understand. We we didn't want these new toys. We want we want the old toys. And what you're doing is is traumatizing and it's garbage. So <laughs> exactly that's the way I, how I how I remembered Transformers the movie. Right, right. Oh yeah. So um, what was I gonna say? I, I think that's it. I, I think. I, there was something I was going to say, but it's gone now. It's it. It's gone. It's 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 flown the coop. Uh, I had something. It was like on the cusp of my memory, and it it was fleeting, and it went away. So we're just gonna go. Maybe it'll come back. It'll come back later on, and I'll and I'll adjust okay. it. So so while that's gone, we're gonna go on to the next segment, which is which are the opening credits. The movie that we saw was the jerk. So. If you would please, John, let our audience know what the joke is about. Okay, so the joke is about Navin, who grew up poor in the deep south in the African-American family who loved him. He realized that he was different from his family and decided to go out to the wider world to find what was missing in his life. On his journey, he finds love, wealth, and failure. Yes. And strangely enough, I thought I added something to that. But I guess it's gone. <laughs> no, I know what happened. I know what happened. I wrote something similar on a, on a, the website version on on the, you know, like when you when you're doing the podcast and you're writing the notes and the show notes in the podcast. I wrote something different yeah. there. That that's why I'm all confused. But yes, you're don't don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Don't feel bad though, man, because that happens to me too. I'm like I have two different sets of notes, right? And it's like I don't know which one I want to go with, so I go with option two instead of option A sometimes. So right. yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> but but you're you're exactly right. It's a dude, and it basically it's a rags to riches to rags story. That that's also how it's been described. It was released December 14th, 1979, produced by Universal Pictures and Aspen Film Society. It grossed over $73 million in the U.S. and Canada on a $5.9 million budget, so almost $6 million, and it had great reviews. An excellent return on the money for that movie. (laughs) And it made so much money. Strangely enough, no theatrical sequel it did have a sequel it was a television movie called the jerk 2 nobody liked it it totally sucked <laughs> i didn't even know it had a sequel so that's news to me i mean i thought they just i thought this was like one of those one and done films yeah to the point where it didn't need it but i guess because oh this movie made bank this movie had positive reviews so we're gonna try and redo what we did with steve martin right but it's it's a made for TV movie, so I believe that would mean that it's a it, they, it was a completely different production staff. So I guess the studio, because usually the studios own the film, the studios decided that they were going to make a sequel, even though nobody else involved in the, the original version was interested in making a sequel. Because sometimes mm-hmm. with certain types of comedies, you can't do it again. So the same thing happened kind of with Airplane. So I did Airplane a while ago, and the the uh, writers who made Airplane had decided that they could not make a sequel because all of the airplane puns that they used in that movie were all the ones that they could think of. They, it's like they, they used them all up. They couldn't think of any more that, that would fit in a sequel. But the studio made a sequel anyway, and it bombed because you, you've used up all the airplane puns. What are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> and that's also why I don't like Airplane 2. I prefer Airplane 1 over Airplane 2 yeah. any day because the 
like you said, the jokes didn't land. It was very steel. It was like yeah, very cringeworthy to the point those jokes didn't hit because they used up all the material that they had in the original film. So right. even with this, I would actually have to say that if I did see the sequel, they probably ran out of room off of the first one to cover for the second one. Right. That That's exactly right. But it's not clothes. So you can imagine them making like a series or something out of it. I, I think they could probably do the jerk TV series if they were like to reimagine it with like modern jokes and then have it uh, like carry on as a series with his adventures in Hollywood or whatever, that would probably work. But um, as far as like doing a sequel, it's kind of hard to know where he would go. Like after the end of the first movie and then starting a new movie, they could probably do it, but you have to be real creative. Cause it's like when they did, did the, it was like, remember it's a television movie. So they don't have Steve Martin. They don't have the original writers and they, they don't have the, uh, pretty much anybody that was involved in the first movie, like none of the other actors reprising their roles. So how are you going to make that sequel? No, nobody wants to see a sequel about a Steve Martin movie. If Steve Martin's not in it, right? Cause he, that exactly. Was, that was the, the jerk was, and I mentioned it later on in the trivia, the jerk was based off of uh, some of his, his comedy routine. So as a comedian, so just like uh, Jerry Seinfeld, when he made the show Seinfeld, this show was based off his comedy routines, and that's why you can't do a show with Seinfeld without Jerry Seinfeld, right? <laughs> right. It wouldn't be called, you might as well just call it Kramer and be done with it. Right, 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 right. For example. But yeah, you can't make a jerk without Steve Martin. Right. That, that's, that's the way it is. You right. Know? So, um, uh, you know what? I didn't. I didn't highlight any of these like I was supposed to. Oh my God, I, I knew I was going to be slacking. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll start off with the, uh, we're going to go and talk about who started in the movie. So I'll start the first one and then we'll just go back and forth until we finished <laughs> off who's starring the film. So Steve Martin, he starts, he's uh, the star, obviously. He plays Navin R. Johnson. He's been in Roxanne, Little Shop of Horrors, and Parenthood, and and a bunch of other movies and tv shows okay and uh bernadette peters she plays uh mary kimball johnson and she played in pennies for heaven anastasia annie 1982 and then um it's funny right because for some reason i keep confusing bernadette peters with madeline Kahn, and i'm never going <laughs> to get over it I- i'm always going to have them confused <laughs> up next is <laughs> caitlin adams she played patty bernstein She's been in Underworld Awakening, The Jazz Singer, and No Pay Nudity. And I don't know what that's about. <laughs> and I don't know if she's had any like like huge roles because um, most of her roles are on television. As a matter of fact, most of these actors have roles on television. I try to like just put their movie credits, but some of them, right. they're, they're more well-known on television than in the movies. So we're going to see that with the next one. Gotcha. Yeah, Underworld Awakening is probably like the biggest thing that I see here that uh, Caitlin's done, you know? Right. So that's the one that stands out the most for me. Right. I think um, some people might remember the jazz singer, too. Okay. But that's so, an old next movie. up. <laughs> I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't seen the jazz singer. Right. Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next up, we have Mabel King, who plays, um, you know, we Naven's mother. And she played in The Wiz, Scrooge, and What's Happening. Yeah. So What's Happening is a TV show. 
that I watched when I was growing up. It was like uh, you get home from school, you watch the cartoons, and maybe watch a little Mr. Rogers, maybe watch something called 321 Contact. And then after that, the the shows that the comedies, what do you call them? Uh, sitcoms. Comes, they, yep. they, they would come on after all the cartoons. Like it's, there's nothing else to watch. Everything, all the cartoons are gone. Even the kid shows are gone. So sit down and watch what's happening <laughs> or the Jeffersons <laughs> or uh, uh, what's the other one? I'm trying to think there, there was a show that I had on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say Archie, uh, Archie Bunker, but he wasn't on. That was still like, what do you call it? That wasn't a rerun. That was airing live. Yep. So right. I was trying to think of the reruns that I watched. Do you watch any reruns when you was growing up? Oh, yeah. I watched a lot of stuff like uh, the Threes and Company reruns. I also watched uh, Silver Spoons, uh, Different World. Yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of different reruns and stuff like that. Even Andy Griffin and things like that. Yeah, I've watched all those shows. The list just goes on. <laughs> oh, I, I remember what I was trying to remember. What I was trying to remember. I think I mentioned the Jeffersons, but I also uh, watched Good Times. I Good times. It seemed like all those shows seem to come on one after another. Um, and regarding what's happening, one of the characters' name is Roger. He's a skinny black kid, and Mabel King plays his mother. And people used to say, I look like him, because there was a time when I was skinny. Back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so up next is Richard Ward. He played the father. He's been in Brew Baker. Mandingo and Across the 110th Street. These are all very old movies. And I used to think Mandingo was a rated X film, but apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I haven't seen any of those either. So that's like way before my time. So, you know, I would probably, I thought that was an X rated movie though, too. I was <laughs> they, the, the way they used to talk about it. Yeah. But it, no, it's not. It's, it's a slave film. And, all of these, yeah, all of those movies are way before my time, too. Uh, let's see here. Next, I have Dick Anthony Williams, who played Taj Johnson. He played in Edward Scissorhands, Dog Day Afternoon, and Blood and Bone. All righty. And Edward Scissorhands is hands down one of my favorite Johnny Depp movies, so I definitely remember him being in the movie. Dog Day Afternoon, I watched, uh, I watched certain scenes from here and there, but I never sat down to fully watch Dog Day Afternoon. But I guess I can put that down on my list. I've seen it since I saw a piece of it. <laughs> Up next is M. Emmett Walsh. He played the Madman. He's been in Blood Simple, Blade Runner, and Critters. For a second there, I thought he was uh, the same guy who played the fat dude in, in Superman. What was his name? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember that either, but I know who you're talking about. Otis. That's his name. Yeah, Otis. I thought yep. he, pl but it's not. It's a completely different person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's see here. We also have uh, Jackie Mason, who plays Harry uh, Hartinen. Good he enough. Played in the history of the. <laughs> What's that? I was like, your pronunciation is good enough. Okay. <laughs> history of the World Part One, Caddyshack Two, and The Simpsons. Yeah, so uh, he's a very famous comedian from back in the day, and he uh, he'll pop up in comedy films as a cameo a lot of times, and his voice is frequently heard on The Simpsons. So the last credit I have is Pig Eye Johnson, 
and he he played the cat juggler. Now, obviously, <laughs> Pig Eye Johnson is uh, is actually Steve Martin, but I put him there as his own credit because in the movie he has his own credit. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's, it's funny though because you don't even recognize him as the juggler, the cat juggler. You don't recognize him because you know his hair is black and whatnot, or he's wearing a black hood. But he moves like Steve Martin. Like as he was moving around, I was like, "Oh, that's that's him. He's playing another part." But um, one part that I didn't realize is that Carl Reiner he he appears in the film as himself. He's billed as Carl Reiner, the celebrity. So he plays that part, but he also plays the truck driver when the the jerk when he uh when he's hitchhiking the first uh car he gets into takes him to the end to the end of his fence like so he drives him a few feet then he has to get out of the truck so that truck driver that was Carl Reiner and I totally didn't recognize him. Oh wow, I didn't even recognize him either though. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's definitely interesting. Right. Oh shoot! Hold on. There we go. I I clicked on something and it ruined my notes, but I, I got it back. So uh, <laughs> tell us, tell us who directed the movie. Okay, so it's actually directed by Carl Reiner, and he directed movies like Ted Men Don't Wear Play Plaid, Oh God, Hey Man with Two Brains, He Man with Two Brains, not Hey Man. Sorry, <laughs> but he it's supposed. Brains. Oh, I, that's a typo. It's supposed to be the man with two brains. The, oh, the man that's my bad so the man with two brains that's a steve martin movie oh god is uh george burns movie. burns and yep. dead man don't wear plaid is another steve martin movie the only one on this list that i saw was oh god and i i wouldn't say that it was laugh out loud funny more like chuckles i guess maybe mm-hmm. because i was so young when i watched it and uh i haven't seen that movie in ages yeah but it was one of those things where, like, George Burns was, like, all over the place. It's like, one of those celebrities that just popped up everywhere. And so you're a fan just because he kept showing up. And uh, so I watched this movie, and I was like, it's it's okay. It's sort of funny. <laughs> right? I need to go back and revisit that, because I remember as a kid loving it and cracking up. Right. But I don't know how it holds up now. Right, right. When I was a kid. So that's going to be interesting if I ever do. But I'm kind of let down that I was not called. But I'm kind of let down he wasn't. He didn't direct He-Man with two brains. Because I would definitely watch that. <laughs> right. So this movie was written by Steve Martin, Kyle Gottlieb, and Michael Elias. So Martin wrote the screenplay and story. He also wrote Roxanne, L.A. Story, and The Pink Panther. He's actually credited with writing a lot of the films that he starred in. Gottlieb is another screenplay and well he also wrote the screenplay and story and he wrote Jaws which we covered in episode 111 and not a whole bunch of credits he also wrote Caveman and Dr. Detroit but I think he wrote a lot of television and then um Elias he wrote the screenplay he also wrote Young Doctors in Love the Frisco Kid and Steve Martin, a wild and crazy guy, or one of the writers in there, because it's a comedy routine. And obviously, Steve Martin wrote most of that. <laughs> <laughs> but Jaws actually is the one that stands out to me because Jaws is actually hands down my favorite uh, movie. Yeah, yeah, Jaws. All Jaws time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Gutlib actually had a bit part in Jaws as well. Tell us about the music. Uh, Jack Elliott, who was actually a composer for 
the jerk. Elliot um, was actually a composer for many other things. He for director Andy uh, Williams for a long uh, for a long running series, and later produced and conducted the NBC television special Live from Studio 8H, 100 Years of American Popular Music. He also wrote themes for The Night Court, which is actually one of my favorite shows, co-wrote and themes to Barney Miller and Charlie's Angels with Aileen Ferguson. Awesome. Thanks for the save. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> so that's it for the opening credits. And if you're enjoying the show, remember you can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlickcinema.com slash shop. I'm wearing one of the T-shirts right now, if you can see it. really like that. That's actually a nice design. Yeah, I was just thinking one day, and and I happened to write down the design. Sometimes, if you just write down something right away, it could turn us to something great instead of just having a thought and just letting it fleet away, right? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm glad my, my phone has a, a notebook feature where it's like I just pull up the note section and just sketch stuff out. I got some sketches on my phone. I should be doing some designs, but um, maybe later. <laughs> I understand that, man, because in my store, too, I haven't done a design since I did Mr. Miyagi, I think. Right, right, right. <laughs> it does like, no, no, no. I take that back. It was our Movie Loves You Night logo was like my last one. Right. And you got it. <laughs> Which... uh, I noticed that it was updated. Uh, maybe a couple months ago. So was there was that like a, a logo generator or you had an artist just do that one? I actually have an artist that did that one for me for the logo that we that you have now. Right. Um but yeah, uh I'll actually give you uh, the artist name and everything and you can use it for yours. He even did my uh intro music and things like that too. Oh nice, nice. That's it, it looks really good. Uh, I'll say it's Thank much you. better than the last one, only because you can actually see the the title now because before it was really hard to see the title yeah it was like really tiny font (laughs) i tried doing my own logo it just does not work right 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 (laughs) so uh as that that's it for all of our announcement now let us transition to the trivia wait wait that's that's totally wrong we're not supposed to be going to the trivia. We're supposed to be going to talk about our favorite parts. Continue the song. All right, now we're back to our favorite parts. Here's the thing. I can't read, okay? okay. I was, <laughs> the words are right in front of my face. <laughs> And I was like, uh, this, I, like when I said trivia, I was thinking to myself, this feels wrong. This is the, I've only been doing this for a hundred episodes. I should know this all by now, but no, apparently not. No, I'm just, I'm just skipping around, not reading my own notes and getting confused. You know what, John, how about you take over? Let, let the audience know what your favorite parts of the movie were. Okay. So. Thanks for the nice transition. I do appreciate that. But yeah, my favorite part is like how naive. Uh, Naven actually is to his own when you look around the house he's the only person that's white and he's wondering if he's ever gonna end up being another caller which I thought was hilarious because it's his birthday and they're all giving him gifts and as he's getting uh, the gifts he's like look and then I like how the mother looks at her husband and she goes should we tell him or should we not tell him (laughs) I don't know should we 
Next thing you know, it he, she's like, "Well, I just want to let you know that you're you're going to be white all your life." What? <laughs> I'm going to be white. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was just funny. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite parts as well. It's one of the parts that I remember from watching this movie. I've forgotten most of this movie. But there are a Me couple too. of things that I remember. So that was one of the things. I, I One of my favorite lines was, you mean am I always going to be this color? <laughs> <laughs> and the poor guy don't have no rhythm. Right, right. That's the thing. They throw in a lot of clues that it's, it's almost like he has a, a genetic memory of, of his original culture. So one of those things is... Uh, or I should say his culture of origin. So one of the things that one of his favorite things to to eat was a a tuna salad sandwich with mayo. They emphasized that there was mayo on the sandwich, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because the there those in the black community that have a thing about mayo, they think that it's it's only for white people or something like that. And I happen to enjoy mayo, so I don't know what all the hubbub is about. <laughs> but they made sure to emphasize it in the movie. And then the other thing was um it it was uh the sandwich, he had a tab and and uh Twinkies. That was supposed to be his favorite meal, right? Not something right. that that like a, a in the deep south that a family would consider their favorite meal. And then exactly. there was a, right, right. And then there was the uh the fact that he had absolutely no rhythm. So the movie opens up, he is totally offbeat. He can't he couldn't get on beat when, like when he's is that part and then when he's in the room and his mama talking to him revealing that you know he wasn't naturally born to them that they had found him on a doorstep and then they're hugging and then there's she's singing to him and he's beating her back but off beat right he's totally <laughs> off he can't right, catch the rhythm it's like, and right, he's like she's like Come on, son. We're gonna let's do some, let's sing some blues. It always suppresses me. Next thing you know, he she starts humming to him, and I'll let you do that part. Right. He's like, "You'll get it, honey. You'll get it." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all of this, and it kind of reminds me of um, you know who Tommy Davidson is? Yeah, I yeah. Do. So Tommy Davidson, he he's been on uh, in Living Color. He's uh also a voice actor, and he pops up in one of every once in a while in movies and TV shows. So he's a black comedian, but he, he actually grew up in a, it's either a white family or a mixed family. So when he was growing up, he considered his family like his natural family and that people were different colors, just like animals, different colors, like dogs are black and white and brown, and they can be born from a dog that's either black or white or brown. So he thought people were the exact same way, right? (laughs) So... So uh, it, it was weird when people would treat him differently than they would treat his brothers and sisters. So it's, it's like right. Navin, Navin Johnson from this movie has a similar experience, except he's never been on the outside world. It's like, so as far as he's concerned, no. he's as black as the rest of the family. He's just a different color. <laughs> right. And totally a fish out of water too, because yeah, yeah. he's never been outside. Like you said, he's never been outside of his house or anything before either. Right. So right. what gave him inspiration was after he heard the song being played on the radio, he's like, well, you know what? I'm thinking about going to St. Louis. Because right. Right. That's where I heard for him. That would be the perfect place for someone of his statue to actually uh, be able to do that. Right. So, and I just thought that was funny. But there was also another part, though, that, like, was whenever the family's giving him advice. And, like, remember, you, uh, if you, if you get something, kill it. 
and or some someone something like that to that to right that. right 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 uh there was one where his uh father gave him his father said you see this right here this is shit and he points the shit on the ground and he said this <laughs> is shinola and shinola is tobacco chewing tobacco but that was the advice. And then he just <laughs> walks in the shit. <laughs> and I understand the analogy that he's trying to tell him, look, either you can choose to walk in shit or you could have this as part of your life, which is actually better than shit. That's what I got. I guess that. it didn't mean anything but... to me. <laughs> like, that I am going deep with it. <laughs> like, that's, that's definitely a joke I didn't get because it's like I, that. Really? I understand it was supposed to be funny. It's like, I don't not understand why his father would tell him that. It's like, those are the only two things I know. That that is shit and this is Shinola. And he doesn't even, like, the father might chew tobacco, but the son does not. Like, uh, Nevin does not chew tobacco. So it, that was kind of weird that he would tell him that. And um, there was something else. There was... Uh, there was also, uh, don't Trust I Whitey. Also had That's that. how well, go ahead. Don't trust Whitey was also another. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and some of it wasn't even practical advice. Some of it was just something that they was telling him, but he was just taking it as like something to live by. And so he's very simple minded and they kind of know that he's simple minded, but they just let him do his own thing. Like they don't impede on him learning uh, from just just learning on his own like <laughs> just like he'll get it <laughs> like so when, like when he leaves the house and you know they all hug and say goodbye and then they go in the house and then the mom's talking about oh i miss him already it's like nighttime he leaves in the daytime and is at nighttime and they're having dinner and she says i, I miss him already it's like i wonder what he's doing and then his little sister looks out the window and he's still standing there on the corner waiting for a ride. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it looks like he's doing all right. He's <laughs> like, it's like he just left here. <laughs> right, right, right. She said, it feels like he just left. Like, yeah, he did just leave. He's not even left yet. He's just standing at the end of the street. So, you know, they, they're not too bright either. <laughs> no. And then my other favorite part, though, too, is the part where he goes, he's, he's hitchhiking, trying to get a ride. He goes, look, where are you headed? I'm headed to St. Uh, St. Louis. Oh, okay. Well, where are you heading? To the end of that fence over there. <laughs> okay, I'll take you. Right. And he starts to tell the dude his story. And by the time he gets, uh, you know, gets out the first sentence, then he has to get out the truck. Because it's the, it's the end of his fence. That's the thing about it. The <laughs> truck driver says, I'm driving to the end of this fence. But he, he's, he's going to drive to the end of the fence. But he's driving to the end of Nathan's fence, right, where he lives at. So he just drives a few feet, and then Nathan has to get out of the truck. So, yeah, just... And he's so happy about it, though. He's just so earnest and happy, right? <laughs> it's like, I have I actually went about four uh, four spaces. Right, right, right. where I was. So, therefore, I'm traveling. He could have walked there. Right. But, but no. uh, eventually, he, he, hitch, he hitchhikes... He ends up in St. Louis. He gets his first job. I had to make a note of this. His, his, uh, the, the manager's basically, like, he, he gets off at a gas station, and the manager says that, basically just hires him on the spot, right? Just under some weird circumstances. And he's like, I'll pay you $1.10 an hour. Now, this would be funny had we had some context at the time. Like, I didn't have any context, so I, would, I don't know why that would be funny. Do you know why that's funny? 
Because at that time, I think it's because of the fact that a dollar ten was not the highest paying job that you can get at that time. I think. Yeah, it's like it's not. It's like below the normal rate. I think. Right, right, right. They do a so good therefore, job. I think that's right. I was just saying they do a good job in the movie of implying that it's lower. It's lower than legally possible. It's it's lower than should be allowed by law. And in fact, the the minimum wage, I looked up a bunch of numbers. So the minimum wage in at that time was $2.90. The wage that the guy was paying, it was $1.10. So less than half a minimum wage. But if you adjust $1.10 for inflation, that would be $4.44 today. So it'd be like today, the guy offering him four dollars and 40 cents an hour when minimum minimum wage in and the national minimum wage is seven dollars and some change and right. in some states it's fifteen dollars an hour so he was getting away with murder he was getting away with paying some simple ton the lowest possible rate and it's also like uh just shenanigans ensue at the gas station Right. It's like, okay, well, I can hire somebody for low pay without him even knowing and do shit labor and he wouldn't even know it because he's just happy to be there. Right. Right. Um, Which is true. Maven is just happy to be there. (laughs) I like how he goes, look, can I use the bathroom? Uh, Look, it's only for customers here. He gives him a lighter. He goes, put some fluid in it. I got to use the bathroom. (laughs) And the key is on a rim. (laughs) Right. It's it. The key is on a a car rim or a car wheel, and just so that nobody would run off with the key. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any. I think that's a little too noticeable. Here, here's the thing, <laughs> and I I get the joke because they still do that. They still attach the keys. Like whenever you need the key to go somewhere, and in in a public restroom, they attach the key to like a, a brick or something, right? So. <laughs> Just a just a uh, so that you don't run off with it, right? So yeah, uh, especially like a hubcap or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's actually another thing I saw where uh, I think it was on Friday or next Friday where the father ends up having to use the bathroom and they give him a key, but it's a hubcap that he's carrying into the bathroom. Right, right, right. So I guess the statement is gas stations are ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) But. At the same time, please don't run away with this key. It's happened a billion times before. <laughs> so I don't know who who's really to blame here. Um, I liked, uh, there was a part when the, uh, there's a lot of jokes here. I remember some of them. I didn't write all of them down. But the one that I just remember was when the gas station uh, owner, right? He After he offers Navin a job, he offers him, a room at the gas station, but this is a tiny gas station. And so he opens up the door to the bathroom and the neighbor says, this is perfect. I can put uh, a, I can put a bookshelf right here. I can knock out this wall, move it over there. So that this room flows into the living space. It's like, Oh my God, he is. And it's already a guy in there. First of all, he's been in the bathroom before. Second of all, there's a guy in the bathroom using it. So how does he not know that this is a bathroom? And he's so excited to live in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, you know, and then he goes, no, this over here. Oh, I could never afford the space anyways. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, <laughs> and then uh, he's even like, more excited because he's living in a closet. Right. And he's talking about his place. Right. There's a closet in the bathroom where it's like it's a, a large store closet. And he moves in. He's like, uh, he goes into the large store closet and he's like, this is perfect. I don't have to change anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was. I liked how earnest and excited he was. Like he saw his name in a newspaper and he was like, I'm somebody now. Things are going to start happening to me now. He's so excited about everything. (laughs) It's just crazy. I just loved how, how dumb he was and how he was able to express how dumb he was. He was, he was so stupid that it, it made it so funny. And that's what this, it's like, they started with the premise. It's like, Maven is very stupid, and we got to exploit this at every opportunity. <laughs> how stupid he actually is. <laughs> right, 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 right. And they did an excellent job of exploiting that. Especially the part where the guy's trying to shoot him, and the cans are exploding. He looks at his bus, oh my god, these cans are exploding. We have to We have to get away from the cans. And then, and then he goes near the uh, vending machine. They have cans in there too. And then he goes over to where the inside, but where the, there's more motor oil. And he's like, "There's cans here." And he starts knocking down all the cover he has to cover. Right. He knocks it over just to give the guy who's shooting him enough room to be able to shoot him. Right. If only, and he would have gone away with it if it wasn't for the fact that the gun actually um got stuck. The chamber got stuck. Well, also, it was a bad shooter because, like, when he first yeah. aiming at him, he's like he had a clear shot the first time and he misses. That's why, like, he's Naven is standing by the cans and the madman. He's shooting at him with the gun, and he misses and he's shooting the cans that's beside Naven instead of Naven. And Naven's first thought are these cans are defective. And then it's like, oh no, <laughs> these cans are exploding. And then. And the uh the store owner or the, the gas station owner, he's there at the time and he says, You gotta he's he's not shooting at the cans, he's shooting at you, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll distract him. <laughs> right, right. He's gonna distract him and get into it. He gets into a car with no no tires, just the rims, and tries to drive off. And, well, actually he's kind of successful because the gunman doesn't uh the, the, it doesn't shoot him. And he ends up in the circus from there. But yeah, just yeah, he was a determined yeah. gunman that couldn't <laughs> shoot. As a matter of fact, when Maven ends up in the circus, like the the gunman is just as as stupid as he is. Maven goes in the section that says carnival personnel only. And then when the gunman gets there, he drives to that point where it says carnival personnel only. And it's like, and then he's like, oh darn! It's like I can't go in because it's only for carnival personnel. So he's determined to kill somebody, but not. <laughs> willing to cross over this open door that says or this open gate that says carnival personnel only like he can't he can't break this particular rule but he's willing to no. kill somebody based on a name that he found in the phone book that's how he chose his victim he goes yeah uh, this guy seems like a real douchebag with a, with that kind of name right so yeah i think i'm gonna go after him right so he right, right. going after maven because of his name right and he but, found but his yeah, name in a the, notebook, or oh, in a in a in a phone book. But because of that stipulation, he doesn't want to go into the carnival because of that stipulation. Right. He even calls it to uh, Maven's attention. You can't go in there, you idiot. This you're not uh, carnival staff. <laughs> he tries to. Uh, he also tries to get the carnival's 
attention. He said, that guy, he's not carnival personnel. Right. But no, right. Obviously nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's how he ends up working for the carnival. And the funny part is, is that he's just there now. <laughs> he's just there. He plays a guy who's guessing people's weight and he can't do it right because he has to give them prizes. And then the the uh, carnival guy in charge, he's like, it, it, you just made $15 and the only thing you gave away was 50 cents worth of crap. And then afterwards, he says, let me guess your weight and win, you can win some crap. Because <laughs> <laughs> then all of a sudden the light switch just clicks on. It's like, oh, so I'm hustling people out of their money right. for this crap. You're right, okay. right. <laughs> so even but though now he lets it know to the public that what he's what they're doing right so it's, <laughs> which makes it even more comical it's funny right because he's kind of a moron but the light switches on he starts to he starts to get it oh but then he gives away the game by by telling them <laughs> that it, it's worthless junk that they're fighting for but see i think most people that go to carnivals know that it's kind of worthless junk so <laughs> right because like when you're trying to win like a teddy bear or whatever it's so much easier and cheaper to just buy the teddy bear at the store <laughs> <laughs> But it's just those bragging rights. It's like, look, I've won this teddy bear right. for for that person that you're right. dating just to impress that person. Right, right. But yeah, it, it's a whole lot easier just to buy the teddy bear at Walmart or something. Right. <laughs> just be like, here. Right. Well, go ahead. Let me let me know what's what's another one of your favorite parts. I'm well, holding the other all the airtime here. Nah, you're good. <laughs> you're good. But no, the other thing I really loved about this was the winning me Jamie Lee Curtis. Is that no? That's not Jamie Lee Curtis. It that's looks not, like her, that's a, I thought it was. Okay, well, my bad. All this no, time I thought it was Jamie Lee Curtis. What you're thinking of is Caitlin Adams. Oh, okay, that is Caitlin. Okay, so that's Caitlin Adams. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that was. Well, in my version, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> right. But uh, but what, what I like about this is like when he meets Caitlin and goes, "Seeing your name on my ass," he goes, "Oh my god." You have my name on your ass. Right. Right. Right by the J's. <laughs> Super aggressive. But yeah, very aggressive to right. the point where it's like, I wouldn't want this woman in my life at all. Right. No, actually, he, he didn't. I don't think like he knew, like he was cognizant of like how she was sexually attracted to him. She wanted to jump his bones and he really wasn't specifically cognizant of that but was happening so she gets him in her trailer and then she starts coming on to him and rubbing up against him and then she's and then he's like what's happening to my special purpose (laughs) (laughs) and then when he writes over to his family he's like look i know what my special purpose is and i promise i'm gonna uh use my special purpose all the time right right i like how the brother's looking like (laughs) <laughs> and and the kids are not knowing what the special purpose is. And I think a lot of, even uh, some of the older kids don't know what the special purpose is. I think, I don't know, she says something that she being that the motorcycle rider who's jumping his bones and like, what's that? And he's like, that's my special purpose. <laughs> 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 my mom told me, when... my mom told me yeah. that was my special purpose, referring to his penis. His penis right. is a special purpose. That that was the joke. That's why it's funny. But I loved when she's rubbing up against him and he says, 
What are you? What's happening to my special purpose? <laughs> that is so and funny. Just, your special purpose is now mine. <laughs> but I also like how he said, "Well, I lost my job at the gas station. Now I'm working at a carnival." And uh, Caitlin's character—I forgot what her what the character's name is—but she's but she said that she was going to give me a job. So she's gonna give me a blow job, right? Right. Just... He's like, I'm. I'm really gonna get some money now because she's gonna give me a blow job. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that's a good job too. It's a good job to have. <laughs> so, uh, what, another moment that I like is uh, you had Steve Martin, and he's on a ukulele he's singing he got a new girlfriend that's funny because he's he's having trouble transitioning from one girlfriend to, to the next so he's he's with his new girlfriend and he's playing the ukulele and they have like a duet together i should have wrote down the name of the song that they were singing um but then uh near the end near the end of that where uh they're singing to each other she pulls out uh, a trumpet and starts blowing the trumpet <laughs> Because the trumpet comes out that. of nowhere, so that's what makes it funny. But um, I thought that was like the most authentic that he was to himself because he plays the banjo. He's a musician, so in uh, there, it's not like you're watching Navin R. Johnson. Now it feels more like you're watching Steve Martin uh, doing a performance on screen. Right. That's what I got out of that, though, too. And he's also picked the one woman who can actually uh, play an instrument as well. So therefore, they have some common interest. So it's not like that they're it's forced in there. But then there's also that other part, too, when he's like, I like how she's also a, uh, her, a what's the word? A beautician. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like how he, she's just laying there still like as someone that, that died. And, yeah. He's trying to. Yeah. They're they're in the bed together. And he's trying to talk to her and she's like, she looks like a corpse. <laughs> right. And he goes, look, uh, look, there's something I want to tell you, but I'm going to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to say anything, but I'm going to ask you to marry me. Okay. So just don't say anything if you're okay with that. And then all of a sudden he just smiles and goes, okay, I'm going to tell you tomorrow. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and then he's oh, over there taking the, me. taking the bath. Uh, taking his bath and everything. She's over there inside the next room writing a breakup letter to him. And then Shithead, which is his dog. (laughs) Because that's also another thing that we forgot to talk about was Shithead, which uh, he was going to name him Lifesaver because the whole entire hotel almost catching on fire. Well, what happened was this dog shows up at his door. He opens up the door and the dog is barking at him. And he's like, what's wrong, buddy? Is the mailman, is Timmy gone down the well? Is the mailman having problems? Like, he's asking all this dog all these questions. And it's like, the, the dog's not talking. He's just barking. But for whatever, but because of the popularity of shows like Benji or Lassie, you just, people just imagine they can talk to dogs. So this is a riff on, on those shows. So, and then finally he says, is the, is the hotel on fire? And the dog continues to bark. And he's like, oh my God, the hotel's on fire. So he grabs some things. He puts on a like a robe or something, gets out as fast as he could. He starts waking everybody up at the hotel. 
hey, hey, everybody, the hotel's on fire. Everybody, the hotel's on fire. And people, everybody gets out of the hotel because they think the hotel's on fire. And then they wait. The police show up. The fire department shows up. The ambulance shows up. And then uh, the fireman, he tells everybody, it's a false alarm. There's no fire. And uh, in the meantime, Navin said, oh, you're a great, you're a good dog. I'm going to call, I'm going to call you Lifesaver. And then the, uh, a man comes up to him and he says, you shouldn't call him Lifesaver. You should call him Shithead. So <laughs> that's, that's what the dog's name is throughout the rest of the movie. Shithead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, he's running, running up a uh, breakup letter to him and you know, he goes, well, now it's not, I wasn't going to do it. I was going to wait until later. But now I figured now is the great, now is the best time as ever. Will you marry me? And all of a sudden, the dog barks and he's thinking that it's the, uh, his girlfriend. And because you made me the happiest man on earth. Come over here and give me a kiss. Next thing you know, the dog jumps uh, uh, jumps in the tub with him. He goes, not you, shithead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah she's, um, she's writing a breakup letter while just before he asked, he's asking her to marry him while he's in the tub. Like th- that, a crazy way to ask somebody to marry you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rocky asked Adrian at least and at the zoo <laughs> as he was looking at a uh, at a tiger. So I mean, at least he at least uh, Rocky got a chance to actually ask somebody out on a date. He didn't even wait. He just <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he just went with the uh, very first thing that popped in his head. Um, there, there was also, the movie uses a lot of misdirection too. So the misdirections are funny where I watched, uh, a couple of horror movies with Rossi uh, a couple of weeks ago and they used the misdirection for horror, but in this case they used it for, for laughs. So there's a, um, a point where he, he like, he has to go find this boy like this, uh, before they become girlfriend and boyfriend, you had, Marie and she is like at the at the carnival and her boy takes the the the, the, this kid that she's with takes off and then Navin goes and he tries to find the kid and he finds him on his train so he goes and gets the kid off the train and and brings the kid to Marie and Marie says something like uh you know thank you is there anything I can do for you and then Navin says can I have a kiss and she says, sure. And he kisses the boy, <laughs> which I don't think such a joke would probably work well nowadays. No, definitely not. <laughs> I don't think it would work quite well, but uh, that it was funny. And then um, and then there's another one where uh, he's like when they're, they're alone together and they're like having a romantic moment together. And then um, he, he leans closer to her like he's going to kiss her. And then he just licks her face. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> What's up with that? He's just well, out of the blue. I, th- I think that is because of his relationship with Caitlin's character is probably what she does to him since she doesn't want to kiss him. So she just licks him instead. So he's thinking maybe that's the way that people kiss is that kind of way. I mean, I guess. There, there's also but, a, a thing where he, he mushes her face like you think he's going to caress her face and instead of caressing her face he just mushes it up <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too was like remember when they were going to kiss out on the beach after they got done playing their instruments and he was going to kiss her and he's like she's like, she's like really cringy right right <laughs> right her face he's she's 
pushing him away. He's trying to kiss her and is like she's she's pushing him away. And then after after he stops trying to kiss her, they they both act all exhausted. It's I think it's meant meant to represent like a point in the in a in a in a actual comp in an actual romance. Like if you're watching a romantic movie, it's meant to represent a tension between two people that are trying to come together. But in it, but it's like they're not physically trying to keep each other apart, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> like as displayed in in this movie. So what are the what other parts you liked? Okay, so there's also the other part where he's like, remember the two hundred fifty million dollars he got because the uh, gra- the thing on the lenses because of the guy that pulled up into the gas station. He winds up saying, "Wow, this looks great. You know what? I'm going to sell some shit, and you know what? We're going to split fifty fifty. So you know, you don't think anything of it or whatever. You're like, okay, this guy's probably not going to make anything off the opti grab because he makes like a little handle on the glasses." to uh, pull them on and off with instead of going from the lens. And so uh, next thing you know, it uh, after the breakup uh, with Maven and his girlfriend, Maven winds up, someone winds, winds up hunting him down. It's actually the guy who shoot was shooting at him. who delivers a letter saying, Hey, look, um, you're going to get about $250 million, but he doesn't realize that he has 250 million or anything like that either up until he goes to the bank. He goes, yeah, just 250 big ones. That's all I need. Some donuts. And then you look at the check, it's for 250 mil. So I thought that was actually pretty funny. It, it was, uh, actually, I think it was 250,000. But okay, I the funny okay, thing is that the guy told him that it was for 250 because he never actually looks at the check. He just sees right. the envelope and is like, yeah, it's for 250. He's like, and then he thinks he got. He has two hundred fifty dollars, so because he kept saying, "Oh yeah, two hundred fifty, two hundred fifty big ones, two hundred fifty. He thinks he's doing well because this is from the guy. He invented the OptiGrab, and the guy said he was going to split it, and and actually does send him some money. Now, the funny thing is, uh, two hundred fifty dollars in nineteen seventy nine. That's a pretty good chunk of change. So if you adjust that for inflation, it's over a thousand dollars today. And and then when they look when the banker he gives the check to the banker and he looks at it and he sees all these extra zeros he sees is actually because the banker's kind of like bored and and barely interested in this dude and his and his pithy two hundred fifty dollars and then he sees the check and it's for two hundred fifty thousand dollars and then treats him as like uh an honored guest at the bank so two hundred fifty thousand adjusted for inflation is over a million dollars. It's like a million and eight dollars, so he's technically a millionaire, right? <laughs> but I also like how he goes. Money's not changing me at all. I promise. Uh, and he's writing to his parents. He goes, "I promise you, money's not changing me at all." And he gets this big, huge pit, uh, painting of a naked woman on the painting. He winds up getting this big house, and he goes, Do you "Remember the time whenever I said that I always wanted X amount of this over at my house, and it was like a spinning bed." Right, and right. Like, he started naming all of these things. He started uh, naming like three pools and all of these pillars. And he he named. Remember when I wanted this uh, gigantic room? Remember when I wanted a disco downstairs? Remember <laughs> he had some dreams, <laughs> and that was that was funny. But um, before he moves into the big house, he 
he lives in a smaller house. It's funny, right? Because he, he kind of stuff simply happens out of nowhere. So when he's at the carnival, it shows him living out of a trailer, like a, a, a tractor trailer uh, trailer the container or something like that. And then in the next scene, him and Maria living in a regular house. So it seems like the regular house came out of nowhere. And then when Marie leaves him, she leaves him out of the house. So apparently the house isn't even hers. So this house basically comes out of nowhere. This is before he's rich, right? But then when, when he gets the money, when he gets rich, he doesn't actually move out the house or the house that he moves into is only slightly bigger than he had. And he, he has a living maid and a living butler and they're, they're all crammed into this little house. And so that's why they move into that gigantic mansion that you mentioned is that because uh, the butler was like, you should get something bigger. Like it, you need something proper for if you're going to have a living maid and butler, you need something more proper. So he, he buys this gigantic house. <laughs> And later this on, giant Tony Montana house, basically right, right, what it looks like. Right. And then, uh, do you remember what happened to the maid? No, uh, I forgot about that scene. Go ahead. The maid got executed. She got executed <laughs> by a firing squad of policemen in on his lawn for some reason. Not e- not even at a district court because uh, she she made an early withdrawal because back at the time. <laughs> Banks used to charge you ridiculous fees for withdrawing your money early. Yep, that's true. I remember those days. Right. So in, in this case, for whatever reason, it was an execution. That was the that was the penalty for early withdrawal. Make it look like he was like a mob boss, basically doing a hit on his own maid for withdrawing the money out early. Well, no, this, it wasn't giving, him. Right? Or no. It was it or, wasn't him. It was his bank. It was her. Oh yeah, the bank did that. The bank did that, right? (laughs) Okay, that's what I said. That's what I said. It was funny that it was happening on his lawn because it was the bank that was doing an early withdrawal. The bank that was that was executing her. That's that's the thing about it. That's what makes it so weird. (laughs) (laughs) That 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 was hilarious, though. To be honest, right? But yeah, there was also a father. Carlos Las Vegas de Cordoza or de Corboza or so when when he's rich you got all of these people trying to get him to donate to charities and whatnot and it's funny because I thought this was going to be like a one of the reasons that he loses his fortune but it has nothing to do with him losing his fortune he's never scammed or whatever or maybe they're trying to scam him but they, it that's not the reason why he loses his money but uh, there's a, a father. Carlos Las Vegas, and uh, that, and they, he says it so fast that you think that's his like uh, you're not supposed to catch it, but he says it so fast that they, it's almost like they're hoping that you don't catch it. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute, he said Las Vegas. He said his name was Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I remember how fast he did. He goes, my father's Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, it was funny. Yeah. And then. He's like, so what do you, uh, look, we need a couple of, uh, we need some money, some donations for things that are happening around in this world. There's sick people out there. What kind of sick people? He goes, come on, I'll show you. So he takes out this video of him, of this person juggling cats. Right. <laughs> and he's like, this is a sick world. Who would do such a thing? He goes, I know, right? So look, we need, we need this X amount of money right here. 
to help us capture people that are juggling cats. Right, right. And he goes, here, I'll write out a check right now. Right. Yeah, I remember he's like, yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what, other, what other parts can you think about? There's also the other part where he tries to get his ex-girlfriend back again. Right. And she's in the mall. And, of course, this is actually whenever he was first discovered that he has money. And the mother's also bribing him for money and trying to mooch off of him, too. Because, remember, he goes, well, wait, she's Marie's working where? I've been trying to find out where she is. Well, if you give me a hundred, uh, couple of thousand, I'll give you the, basically, I'll give you the location. Because, look, I can't do that. All I can do is $75. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so he's not, he's not as naive as people think he is right, now that right, he has right. money. I, I think he's starting to get smart now. He's starting to smart right. up. <laughs> it only had, you know, it only took 250000 to make him smart, you right. know? But he goes over to the mall, and he's, the, and of course, she has this new uh, makeup cosmetics thing that she's doing. And with this mask, um, so to make it more, make your face more authentic, to make it more uh, lively, I think. Well, he winds up bribing the guy with $50 who's actually sitting in the chair. And then he, then she's like, well, now let's unmask him. And this happens to be Naven. And she winds up kissing Naven. And then, of course, the, the woman who's thinking that's still her husband goes, you're kissing my husband. <laughs> right, right, right. She starts beating on Marie. <laughs> Thinking Marie is stealing her man. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was actually pretty funny. And then, of course, he winds up going broke because of this, um, because of what people suing him, because people are getting into car accidents because of the Opti uh, blends handle that that he has. Right, right. So it was uh, Carl Reiner. That was, the th- that was the other thing that I remember from the movie. So Carl Reiner plays himself... And you got people wearing the OptiGrab. And so the way the OptiGrab works is that there's a handle at the bridge of the glasses that kind of loops around and it uh, it rests on the bridge of your nose. So it's supposed to keep your glasses from sliding down. Because what happened is that in the beginning of the movie, this dude is wearing glasses and Navin, when he was a gas attendant, is servicing the man's car. And the, the guy, every time the guy looks down, his glasses fall off. And at one point, <laughs> the... The man says, damn these glasses. And then Naven looks at the glasses and says, I damn thee, which is funny to me because that's the proper use of damning something. It's like when you damn something, <laughs> you're condemning something. But nobody actually uses that. They just use it as a curse. So when <laughs> when Nathan looks at the glasses and says, I damn thee, that was that was so funny to me. But anyway, he, he goes, he, he says that he can fix the glasses. He takes the glasses and he attaches some wire to the glasses and he gives it back to the man and basically he fashions the wires in such a way that the it forms a loop at the bridge of the glasses and so that it rests on the man's nose and then the man can grab the glasses by the hoop as a handle and the guy was like yeah this is great i'll if i'm, I'm going to make a million of these like you mentioned earlier you talked about this earlier i'm going to make a million of these and if uh if people buy it um I'll, I'll give you half and so that's exactly what he does. So you had, uh, but then Carl Reiner playing himself. He, it's his, the official credit is Carl Reiner celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he launches a clash action suit because people using the OptiGrab have become cross-eyed from removing their glasses. 
So everybody's cross-eyed, like cross-eyed as 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 fuck. So <laughs> so uh, he claims that because he's cross-eyed, now he doesn't have any depth possession uh, perception. So now, um, like he shows an example, of he tried to yell "cut" in a movie he was directing, and so when he would yell "cup," the there's a driver in his car is supposed to stop, but because he he had poor depth perception because of the opti grab because he was cross-eyed. The car continues to go off a cliff and crashes at the bottom of this cliff. And then as the car is crashing, then he then he yells cut, right? <laughs> because his timing is off, he can't see, he's cross-eyed. And then it's like the prosecutor is also cross-eyed. The judge takes off his glasses. The judge is cross-eyed. So <laughs> he loses the suit because everybody who used the optograph is cross-eyed. And they claim that they, they've lost their depth perception. And that's that's all hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where <clears throat> they were uh, suing for $10 million in damages. Right. And yeah. And leaving him broke. And and um he was personally writing checks to each and every person who <laughs> who had bought the optograph. He was refunding everybody a dollar and five cents. And uh I was like, so he's gonna write out ten million checks <laughs> <laughs> for a dollar and five. <laughs> right, right, right. So um but uh so he's doing all of this. He's there's a point where uh, he's he has a fight with Marie, and he says, "I don't need anything. I don't need all of this. I don't need you all. I don't need nothing except for this." And he starts grabbing stuff, <laughs> and then and then uh, I I need this uh, this statue. I don't need anything except this dog and the dog starts growling. Well, I don't need the dog. Uh, I don't need anything except for this chair. (laughs) So he walks out of mansion with a bunch of random crap in his hands. He's walking down the street with his, uh, dressed in a robe with his, with his pants at his ankles. And, and that's how we kind of find him at the beginning of the film, except that like in the beginning of the film, when we see him, he says, I don't need anything except this thermos, right? <laughs> so you wonder what happened to the thermos. Why didn't you you expect him to pick up a thermos? That's one of the misdirections that they have. <laughs> but instead of picking up the thermos, uh, he picks up all this other crap, but he's walking down the street. And then he sees the lady with the thermos. So he trades all of his cr- random crap that he had picked up, and he trades it for the thermos because he really wanted that thermos. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess you have to drink. I guess you have to, if you're thirsty, you might want to have a thermos in your hand. So I guess he was thinking on that logical sense. But still, it makes it a little hilarious because all this stuff is actually expensive stuff that he has in his hands that he could pawn for money. But yeah, he he just walks out the house. He could have sold all of the stuff and he could have sold the house. But instead, he just kind of walks out the house. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, my life is over with. So there's no sense of... He doesn't even get the IRS or the investors any time to even clean his house. He just right, goes on right. in and does it. Just leaves the house. And then, um, <laughs> what you call it, or, or presumably the house is already sold. The stuff is already right. sold. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> he has to sell all of that stuff in order to satisfy the settlement. And right. then there was the, uh, what you call it. So he's, we see him like with just the thermos 
and but at the same time he's drinking a wine bottle so he's not even really using the thermos to drink out of <laughs> exactly i would just ask you if you saw any jokes that you didn't think was uh was working or will work nowadays yeah there was that once that kung fu scene that uh maven uses yeah yeah and yeah. the racial slurs i'm like I didn't realize this even had it in there because I'm going to be honest with you. The very first I seen seen the movie was on TBS, right? So all right, that stuff. Right. So then I've watched the Red Dark one a couple of years back and stuff like that too. But watching it in today's time, like, yeah, none of these are going to end up. This one you get this part would have actually got X and Nanade out of the script. Right, right, right. Today, yeah. So there, there's a scene where uh, he's talking to some mobsters and. They want him to do some kind of money scheme. Uh, they wanted him to invest in this, uh, what you call it, some property, right? And then uh, the mobster is like, we're going to make sure that there aren't any. And then they they mention a slur but that he doesn't understand. I can't remember what the slur was, and I don't understand it either. No. And then, I don't, uh, <laughs> and then Maven was like, huh? What are you talking about? And then the, the mobster says, the N-words. Who's going to get the N-words out? And then right. Maven says, I happen to be an N-word. And, see, and that's where it all falls apart. <laughs> right. It's like, like, well, never mind. This is a bad, actually a bad investment. So right, like... right, right. But then then he fights them off and uh, he uses Kung Fu. And then that scene, I realized, you know what? Steve Martin's in pretty good shape. <laughs> For him to do that Kung Fu thing? Yeah, definitely. When I'm just talking about his musculature. Like, he's, like he does Oh, yeah, that's push-ups. right. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if what he was doing was actually Kung Fu. It just looks good. No, it's his interpretation of Kung Fu. Right, though. right, right. But, yeah, it was... But, yeah, that, that scene was definitely cringy. That was the, the exact scene I was thinking about when I asked you the question. But I was wondering if there was anything else. That probably wouldn't work now. Oh, I already mentioned the, the little boy uh, kissing the little boy. That probably wouldn't work now. No, definitely not because <laughs> of everything that's going on in today's time. Yeah, right. those those things would actually got crossed out of the script. Like, what the hell are you thinking? Right. I can see people like <laughs> I can see the students going, "Why? Why is this character doing this? Right. This is who made it? No, we're not doing that." <laughs> I, I think I get to see it. I think the scene would have worked probably with one N-word and with Naven not actually saying it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, okay. Like if it was just the mobster saying it and then and then Naven says another word. I, I understand why it's funny, but it's also very cringy. <laughs> yeah, very cringy. I'm like, it made me uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't know if this would get played. Right, that right, first, right. That was my first <laughs> thing, reaction. I'm like, this would actually get canceled. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, different times, different uh, different times compared to today and everything. Right, like, you right, know. right. So, um, also, the the ending is, is kind of nice because uh, his family finds him living on the street. They uh, they're, they're wealthy now because the father is a, gen- a financial genius. He invested the money because... Naven continued like even when he was only making a dollar and ten cents an hour, he would send a little bit of money to his family, even if it was only forty five cents. He was constantly sending money to his family. So when he was wealthy, he sent a bunch of money to his family. His father took that money and invested it. It doesn't say in a movie, I don't think, but they're a family of sharecroppers, so they understand business. 
So now right. they're all wealthy. They get back and they're basically still living in the, the same shack of a house that they were living in. And then Neva says, and then we move to a bigger house. And then the scene flips in. It's just a bigger version of the same house. Like when I say bigger, it means it's a bigger door. It's a bigger window. It's just like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just an enlarged version of the exact same house. But the family's wealthy now. And what's, what I liked about it is that at the end of the movie, he now has rhythm. He he now has rhythm to his family music and not just like the uh, instrumental music that he liked at the beginning of the movie. Now he's, and right. he, now he's in sync with his family. Marie's there because Marie helped find him. I like when they first find him on the street, um, Marie goes to kiss him and he says, well, I don't know. I'm kind of dirty. And she says, dirt doesn't bother me. And then she gets closer and she says, but the smell does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So any, any thoughts on that? The end of the movie? I thought, I thought this movie is still funny. It's just that those, those couple of scenes just doesn't stand up today. Right. It went around watching it. But other than that, though, I thought the film is still funny. I thought it still holds up in certain aspects, certain aspects, not so much. Um, but yeah, I re- like I said, I remember during the summertime, I was actually in Boston whenever I first saw seen this movie on TBS. So the, the shithead part was not even, was edited out. Right. The N-word slur was actually edited out. Uh, but they still have the, I don't know, I don't forget the words that they used to cover up the racial slurs. But, but yeah, those were the things that I remember the most watching it on the edited version of it. Yeah. Like, I thought it was still funny. I don't remember how I saw this movie. I probably saw the edited version too when it came on TV. Well, because I, I don't remember. I remember watching it. Don't remember at all. I definitely don't remember most of the movie. And I don't remember the pool scene where <laughs> when they're fighting the monsters. I have no memory of that. So I imagine they probably cut that entire out because you don't need it in the movie, right? <laughs> There's no. a lot of things. Like anything, like anybody wanted to edit this for television, it can easily be edited and still maintain the same story. So. Don't know. Um, I, I don't remember, like I said, how I watched the movie, but it's definitely one of my favorite movies. I still enjoyed it. How did you like it? I still like it. I still love this movie. I would probably put this on on a Sunday if I want to just have something to laugh at. Right. To be honest with you, because the jerk is actually the one that stands out the most out of the Steve Martin movies. Don't get me wrong. I love uh, trains, planes, and automobiles. Right. And I also liked. A couple of his other, uh, like Father of the Bride, also stands out for me because I I love the chemistry between him and Martin Short. But this right. one still holds up for me though a little bit. Right. I think I only seen this one. I think this is the only Steve Martin movie that I watched. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. I mean, I've seen a little bit of uh, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. I'm pretty sure I saw some of his stand up, but I think this is the as many movies as he's made. I think this is the only one I actually watched. <laughs> but yeah, I saw Roxanne. I saw Father of the Bride one and two, cheaper by the dozens. I uh, bringing down the house. Yeah, I've seen just about everything out of this filmography. Right, right, definitely a prolific filmmaker. Are you also watching? Uh, what's it called? Only Murders in the Building. I haven't seen that, but I heard it was good. Yeah. Oh no, I have seen another Stephen Martin movie. I've seen The Three Amigos. That's oh, also yeah, a funny movie. Three Amigos. That, yep. That's a, a classic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's it for what our favorite parts are. And up next, we're going to talk about 
the trivia. All right, we're back with trivia. We get our trivia from IMDb. It's mostly correct. <laughs> I hope I don't have any typos in there. So why don't you go ahead and start us off with the trivia. Okay, so Stanley Kubrick was a big admirer of this film. He would often recite lines from the film to cast and crew on his films, and he was once invited to Steve Martin over so they could play chest. Mm, that's that, actually that's pretty interesting. Nice. Is de- definitely you wouldn't expect Stanley Kubrick to to be uh, enamored with this film, <laughs> especially with, with the, the shining. Type, yeah, with the type of movies he make he makes, and there's not a whole bunch of like laugh out loud moments in Stanley Kubrick's film. So, yeah, you know it's it's funny. I, I like I, this little bit of trivia. Uh, up next, Bill Murray filmed a cameo that was deleted on. The Saturday, December 15th, 1979 broadcast of Saturday Night Live, Murray jokingly reviewed the jerk saying, I was in the movie, but cut out of it. That doesn't influence my opinion. The movie is a dog, so there's something missing. I don't know who it is. I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bill Murray. I really do. Bill is just awesome. Right. Uh Let's see. The part where Naven licks Mary's face during their first date was completely completely improvised. Bernadette Peters' reaction was genuine. Yeah. Which, <laughs> she definitely gives him this look. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I don't remember this in the script. What are you doing, Steve? Right. <laughs> but she doesn't break character, which is genius. <laughs> That would have broke me. I'm sorry. As much. Right, <laughs> but that's right. just going to show you how, her credibility of how good of an actress she is because that would have threw me off. Yeah, I, I think uh, because she understands, you know, the type of movie that she's in. <laughs> she, I guess she's ready to expect anything or if something goes off kilter, she, she knows to stay in character, I guess. But yeah, that that was a pretty cool expression on her face after he licked her face because that, that felt genuine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so because of the uh because of a gas shortage, Steve Martin and Carl Reiner carpooled to the set every day. Reiner recalled every day we came up with at least one or two new jokes on the way to work that day. What I found interesting was that the gas shortage hit hard it was <laughs> it was incredible right the gas shortage had movie stars carpooling because it was like they were like i i ain't, i don't want none of this smoke <laughs> but you know what's funny though i would actually think too that maybe this is also where they came up with like the gas station bit or something on the carpool ride probably like, yeah he said you know, they came up I, with new jokes every day right which i think that's funny and then um let's see here then there was also Steve Martin, who adapted several bits of his stand-up act to fit within the film, such as a monologue in which he emotionally exits the scene, remarking, I don't need anything, but nevertheless, picking up each object as he passes on his way out. Right. Each object, no matter how irrelevant it is, it might be to his current circumstances. <laughs> Although, <laughs> when I think about it, probably could have used a chair. Probably chair is probably more comfortable to sit on than a right. hard concrete. But he was just grabbing random objects. So <laughs> it's definitely a classic moment. 
Steve Martin and co-star Bernadette Peters were in a personal relationship during production. So that, that would account for her tolerance for face licking. Right. I think so, too. I think he gets a pass for that. I, was, <laughs> I could just see, you know what, we're, we've been in this relationship for about uh, four weeks and five days. And that day turned into three days and two days that one day so you have opportunity to lick my face <laughs> <laughs> by the way that is a direct quote from the jerk <laughs> <laughs> right 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 but yeah i could see that um then of course according to his book born standing up steve martin's favorite line in the movie is ad-libbed which his character is hitchhiking a man in a truck stopped and asked st louis to which martin replies no, Naven Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that that's funny. It shows how how just how dumb he is. He's just so dumb. <laughs> He's just so dumb. In the beginning of the movie, Naven is at the dinner table with his family and bursts into tears. The director intentionally did not tell the actors who played his younger siblings about the scene. The astonished expressions on their faces is genuine since they did not know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great. That, I really love that. Right, right. Just just being cruel to little kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. We also have, this actually was Steve Martin's first starring role. That's actually pretty interesting. I didn't even know that was his first role. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it either. I was like, oh, let me put this in there. Steve Martin's favorite scene involves M. Emmett Walsh shooting the cans at the gas station. So everybody likes that. That's Steve Martin's favorite scene. <laughs> Let's see. A sandwich shop in Oregon named it, uh, their jerk chicken sandwich the Navin R. Johnson sandwich. Yes, that I like that. I, I like that because if you go to a shop and it says Navin R. Johnson, you and you've seen the jerk, you get it immediately. And then somebody else will see it and wonder, who is Naven R. Johnson? Is he the owner of the shop? <laughs> <laughs> so the gigantic house shown in the film is the infamous Sheikh Al-Fasi mansion on Sunset Boulevard in Beverly Hills. The first time the residents appeared in a major motion picture. The property was selected over about a half dozen contenders which included the former Harold Lloyd and Marion Davies estates. One reason this abode was chosen was because it's very large and spacious rooms meant that any filming done in one part of the dwelling allowed great vista shots of adjoining areas at the same time. The mansion also had its own basement disco where the dance scene was filmed. The 38-room mansion no longer exists. It was torched by an arsonist in 1980. And the building was demolished with the site becoming a vacant lot. Uh, a sad sucks. ending to such a prestigious estate. Exactly. And this is why Steve should have stayed at his home. He should have just stayed. <laughs> Maybe should have just stayed at his house. And they wouldn't have burned down his house. But no, that he just had to leave. So He had to find really... himself. He had to find himself to, to, to see who he was. Right. And to find his own rhythm. Yeah. So he can go back home so he can have the rhythm of his own steps he while also learned, having the rhythm of his family. He learned the rhythm. <laughs> the hard way. So uh, the film originally had two trailers. This was a tongue-in-cheek presentation that began with a large printed message 
for theater managers only. Steve Martin is sitting at a desk talking to the camera. He lets the theater managers know that he's in on the fact that moviegoers are morons and they will go for anything. Describing his new movie, he says that the film has everything. I love seeing a high-speed car chase, guns, a dog, and more. Plus, it has some boring scenes so that the audience will go to the lobby and spend money on snacks. And um, I shared that scene with you earlier. Yep. What were your thoughts on that hidden trailer? I, I thought it was hilarious, especially for Steve Martin to do something like this and breaking the third wall in a sense. This had like very Deadpool like vibes. I would like to see Deadpool pull something off like this. Right. But, you know, I thought that it was fantastic. I thought his delivery of it uh, made me laugh and chuckle because I would definitely, I would definitely be cracking up the whole entire time in the movie theater right. and stuff like that too to see this. What about you though? What, what are your thoughts on it? I thought it was funny. When I saw this piece of trivia, I immediately went looking for it because I thought, <laughs> Maybe it's not as hidden at all because originally the piece, this piece of trivia said that it it was um it hasn't been seen since it first premiered at the movie theater because this was only this trailer was only in the movie theaters it wasn't shown on television so I was thinking maybe this piece of trivia isn't up to date so I just typed it in the search engine I typed I googled it and it was right there on YouTube and I was like and it was a great quality too it was a great quality video on YouTube I'll I'll leave the the link in the show notes of this Steve Martin trailer. And it reminds me of an early trailer for Johnny Dangerously. It was a very similar vibe where you had uh, the bad guy from Johnny Dangerously and he and his henchmen, they break into a projection office and they start talking about um, the, the Johnny Dangerously movie. And they're talking directly to the audience of the giant about, you know, the shenanigans is going to go on in Johnny Dangerously. So is there are not a lot of trailers like that. Uh, I doubt there's going to be a trailer like that for the, like the Transformers, for example. <laughs> right. I don't see that either. I don't see. <laughs> but I, I'd like to see like, like you, yeah, I'd like to see Deadpool do something like that. That would be cool. That'd be hilarious. I would, especially for like the opening scene where it's just like a trailer for the movie itself. Right. Before the movie starts. I, I would love to see that. Right. That that would be awesome. So, Steve Martin, favorite moment of the film. Apparently, another favorite moment. I told you, you got to be careful with IMDb because he has a bunch of favorite moments. <laughs> but as detailed in his 2007 memoir, Born Standing Up, was a scene in which he and Bernadette Peters sings, Tonight You Belong to Me. Now, this is going to be funny. Because this is related to the piece of trivia that we just read. Remember, Steve Martin in the trailer says that there's going to be a boring part in the movie that's going to allow people to go and get popcorns. So his favorite part, according to his book, is that part when he and Bernard Peter sings, Tonight You Belong to Me. Martin felt the moment was touching and went and waited in anticipation at the film's premiere screening in St. Louis. Unfortunately, much of the audience left during the scene to buy more popcorn. That <laughs> that was the time that they chose to buy popcorn in his favorite scene of the movie, right? <laughs> I, I, you know what though? I was thinking to myself, this scene is like least like uh, lustering. So I'm like, yeah, I would definitely want to uh, check myself out for a minute, go get some popcorn, go to use the bathroom, then go back. 
uh, to watch more of the movie. Right. So, yeah, right. this would actually be my mark as well. Right. <laughs> like if you had to leave the movie theater or leave the leave the theater to go get popcorn or use the bathroom, this would be the scene to do it. And and he was right. He didn't really he didn't know that he was right, but he was totally right about there being boring parts of the movie where people can get up and get some popcorn. So uh, what's the next on the list? So the idea for the film came from a stand-up routine of Steve Martin included on his debut comedy album, Let's Get Small, in which he claimed to have been born a poor black child and how after hearing his first uh, Mantovini record, he decided to become white. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, pretty much exactly how it plays out in the film. He believes that he is born a poor black child. He's not black. He was left on the porch but they never told him that he was not a natural born child so (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah that and then you know he plays a record he feels the rhythm right it's the first time that he's actually on beat and then um that's when he decides to go out into the real world so steve martin and the dog got off on the wrong foot when he accidentally dropped mittens on the animal's face from then on, it cowered when he tried to pet it. Martin recalled, it was miserable. He hated me. That's kind that of explains shame. why he was always growling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it reminds um, me of that moment in the film. Remember, he's, uh, he's walking somewhere and he's dragging the dog along. It seems like... That's that was that whenever he lost from. his job over at the carnival. He goes, me and my trusted dog right, are right. leaving the carnival. Right. And leading the way. And he's actually the dog leading the way while the dog is hanging on. Because remember, he's like, now I'm going to let, let you go. And he before he can even finish his speech, the dog turns around and leaves. Right, 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 right. <laughs> he's like, he's having a speech where he's breaking up with the dog. And the dog runs away. And then he's like, no, I changed my mind. Come back. <laughs> I'm back here, Shed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Something like that. Something like that happens. Right. And uh and then he he the next thing you know, you see him and he's dragging the dog and the dog doesn't want to go with him anymore. So yeah, just that's why this movie is funny. Definitely. And then many movie posters featured the following blurb. He was a poor black uh sharecropper's son who never dreamed he was adopted. Steve Martin in the jerk. A rags to riches to rags story. Right. it is definitely a a rags to riches to rags story and then to riches again because at the end of the movie he is redeemed when naven receives a gold chain he's wearing he's he's actually got a bunch of gold chains on but when he receives the gold chains he's wearing a king tut mask pendant this is a tribute to steve martin's song king tut which debuted on Saturday Night Live on April 22nd, 1978. So I listened to the song. It's, it's a pretty cool song. Go check that one out. Okay, I'm going to have to do that after this. Yeah. Um, The film's title grew out of contra- uh, conversations between Martin and Rayner. Some of the working titles were Money to Burn, The Jerk, A Wild and Crazy Movie, and Easy Money. Rodney Dangerfield released a comedy called Easy Money in 1983. Yeah, so... They went to some things. And then there was someplace else I read that he wanted uh, something that was a short, impactful title. Like there was one filmmaker, he had a film called The Idiot. So he wanted something that was short and impactful like that. So (laughs) he got the jerk. So that's it for the trivia. And up next, we're going to talk about what the critics thought. (laughs) 
So the critics on IMDb gave it 80%. The audience gave it 65%. I don't have the Rotten Tomatoes score. Let me go look that up real quick. Let's see what they said on Rotten Tomatoes. I happen to have the uh, website open. (laughs) And I'm on the jerks page. And let me see what they say. I always have a hard time finding it, but it's 7.1 out of 10. So, yeah, it's it's comparable. It's pretty good. Hey, people like this movie. So, why don't you tell us what the first couple of critics thought? Okay, so Dave Carr, Chicago reader, the verbal and conceptual gags belong wholly to Martin's own brand of goofiness, and some of them are pretty funny. Yeah, I agree. I do too. I definitely agree with that. The wittiness of it and just how funny it is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, then John Scow, the True Time magazine, it's humorous, successful, and unsuccessful by turns. And although comedian Carl Rayner is the director, the instinct here is to give most uh, both credit and blame to Martin. Yeah, given that this is a comedy, you know, your mileage with the humor may vary. But uh, I thought it was more successful than it was unsuccessful. And Same. Yeah, but definitely, if somebody were to say, well, I didn't like the movie, even though Carl Reiner directed it, is is basically Steve Martin. It's like Steve Martin let loose. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Martin uncaged. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so Brian Egert from Deep Focus Re- Review wrote, with comedy legend Carl Reiner, Directing an unforgettable supporting roles from Jackie Mason and Bernadette Peters, the result is an incredible mix of barbed satire, silly pratfalls, and at its core, sweetness. I think that perfectly encapsulates the film. And then Roger Ebert. I'll go ahead. No, I definitely have to say the direct, it is definitely unforgettable supporting cast, you know, for the roles of Jackie and Mason and Bernadette Peters. I think that those were actually uh, pretty neat to actually see them on screen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Roger Ebert from Chicago Sun-Times wrote, we get, we get the sense at times that the cast and crew arrived at a location, found the script bankrupt of real laughs, and started looking around for funny props. And... I totally disagree with Roger Ebert <laughs> because I I didn't I didn't think the, the funniest parts were the props. I, I always thought that the funniest parts of the movie to me were the setups and the jokes or the the misdirection that was in the movie. So um, I I often disagree with Roger Ebert, so it's not a surprise. Right, I do too. I find myself disagreeing with him on several other things. Right. But I love listening to people that I disagree with because if I ended up listening to someone that I do agree with, then then what's the purpose of me listening to somebody else with different opinions? So right. that's why I like listening to them. But you know, I definitely have to say that it's not the props that are the uh, the standout. It's Steve Martin and the jokes and the bits that he's doing. You know, right. because he's the one who makes those props work, especially with the exploding cans, because nobody could actually make a bit like that, but but Steve, right. Also, um, the the thing that 
the thing about, like I said, the comedies, it's it's subjective. So, you, you know, you're going to have some people that's going to laugh at it and some people that's not going to laugh. So it's it's hard to judge a movie based on how funny it is because I'm, I might go into another movie and everybody else is laughing and I'm not laughing. So it, it, right. it can happen, right? I'm sitting in the theater going, why, why, is, why, why do people think that this is funny? And, and me, either me not getting the joke or me, or the joke not being in my specific taste. So it, you know, it's, you can't, you can't account for taste. <laughs> no, you can't. So finally, the jerk is as of this recording available wherever you stream your movies. That's it for today. Next week, we have a special guest, Mark, from a brand new podcast called Casual Nonsense. Join us then. Follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast. And if you're on Mastodon at Backlick Cinema at mstdn.party. Don't forget that you can contact us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. So, John, do you have any additional plugs? Yeah. a matter of fact, we just released your episode with Rossi. Because she actually has a spinoff show called Rossi Talks About Every Movies and Everything in Between. Zoe was actually on two of those reviews. I've edited one of them and I'm gonna be editing another one uh very soon. But the one uh Piggy is now available for you guys to listen to on the audio podcast, and that's only on audio podcast only. So go on ahead and check out Piggy, give us some extra downloads and everything. That's always helpful. Go on ahead, subscribe over to the YouTube channel, listen to us on wherever you guys get your podcasts from. Zoe's going to probably try and be on my show sometime in the future as well. He's just an awesome uh, host. I do appreciate him so much for allowing me to review this movie because I enjoy watching The Jerk. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the show. If I hadn't said so before, thank you for being on the show. (laughs) You're welcome. Anytime. (laughs) So one last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow by spreading the word about Backlick Cinema, the podcast. And I know you've enjoyed our guest, John, so please listen to Movie Lovers Unite. Believe me, it matters. I've been Zoe Richardson. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.